Turn with me in your scriptures to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 19, we will read the entire chapter, verses 1 through 38. We are back to our study of Genesis. We have a ways to go, but we will, we will make it through the end of the book and hopefully be encouraged and uplifted and edified as we do so. Today we will be looking at the account of Sodom and Gomorrah and the account of Lot and his family as they were rescued from the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. So please read along with me as I read from Genesis chapter 19. The two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. When he saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. My lords, he says, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night and then go on your way early in the morning. No, they answered, we will spend the night in the square. But he insisted so strongly that they did go with him and entered his house. He prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, and they ate. Before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. Lot went outside to meet them and shut the door behind him and said, No, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. Look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you and you can do what you like with them. But don't do anything to these men, for they have come under the protection of my roof. Get out of our way, they replied. And they said, This fellow came here as an alien and now he wants to play the judge. We'll treat you worse than them. They kept bringing pressure on Lot and moved forward to break down the door. But the men inside reached out and pulled Lot back into the house and shut the door. Then they struck the men who were at the door of the house, young and old, with blindness, so that they could not find the door. The two men said to Lot, Do you have anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons or daughters, or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of here, because we are going to destroy this place the outcry of the Lord against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who were pledged to marry his daughters. He said, hurry and get out of this place because the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. With the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot saying, hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here or you will be swept away when the city is punished. When he hesitated, the men grasped his hands and the hands of his wife and of his two daughters and led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. As soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, flee for your lives. Don't look back and don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains or you will be swept away. But Lot said to them, no, my lords, please your servant has found favor in your eyes and you have shown great kindness to me in sparing my life. But I can't flee to the mountains. This disaster will overtake me and I will die. Look, here is a town near enough to run to and it is small. Let me flee to it. It is very small, isn't it? Then my life will be spared. He said to him, very well, I will grant this request too. I will not overthrow the town you speak of, but flee there quickly because I cannot do anything until you reach it. That is why the town was called Zoar. 
By the time Lot reached Zoar, the, the sun had risen over the land. Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, including all those living in the cities and also the vegetation in the land. But Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and returned to the place where he had stood before the Lord. He looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah, toward all the land of the plain, and he saw dense smoke rising from the land like smoke from a furnace. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham, and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. Lot and his two daughters left Zoar and settled in the mountains, for he was afraid to stay in Zoar. He and his two daughters lived in a cave. One day the older daughter said to the younger, Our father is old and there is no man around here to lie with us, as is the custom all over the earth. Let us get our father to drink wine and then lie with him and preserve our family line through our father. That night they got their father to drink wine and the older daughter went in and lay with him. He was not aware of it when she lay down or when she got up. The next day the older daughter said to the younger, Last night I lay with my father. Let's get him to drink wine again tonight and you go in and lie with him so we can preserve our family line through our father. So they got their father to drink wine that night also and the younger daughter went and lay with him. Again, he was not aware of it when she lay down or when she got up. So both of Lot's daughters became pregnant by their father. The older daughter had a son and she named him Moab. He is the father of the Moabites of today. The younger daughter also had a son, and she named him Ben-Ami, and he is the father of the Ammonites of today. Let us pray. Our gracious and holy God, we do thank you for your word, and we ask that you show us your glory in the midst of this story, that you show us your good news in the midst of this story that seems so full of judgment and destruction. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Definitely not a, a precious moments chapter here today. But as we look at Genesis chapter 19, we do have a couple questions. Where is your allegiance? Who or what has your heart? During church history, there have been times when the church has been persecuted and people have been given a choice. Embrace the scriptures, embrace the word of the Lord and die or turn your back upon them and live. Today, we are going to look at the story of Lot and Sodom and Lot and his daughters at how these choices play out for the for the characters, for the people within this story. First, Lot and Sodom. We pick up the story where we left off several months ago. Abraham in chapter 18 of the book of Genesis had been visited by three men, we are told. We find out later on as the story, as the account progresses, that one of the men is the angel of the Lord, a, a physical representation of God himself, whether it's a, a pre-incarnate representation of Jesus or just God appearing to Abraham and Sarah in the form of a human. We don't know, but we're told it's the angel of the Lord that is oftentimes equated with God himself. And the other two of these men are these angelic messengers. They show up at Abraham's tent. He offers them a meal, a banquet. He has a, a goat slaughtered and prepared. He has bread baked for them. He offers them rest in the shade of his tent during the heat of the day. 
He takes care of them. He offers them hospitality. We'll see Lot compared to this as well. During their stay there, they, they promise Sarah that within a year's time she will have a son and then they leave. And Abraham follows them a certain distance along the way as they discuss what they are going to do. They are on their way to investigate Sodom and Gomorrah because an outcry has risen up to God against them. And they're going to see face to face or they're going to, to, to go experience eyewitness testimony. Find out for themselves if the outcry is justified. And that's where we pick up today as these two men, the two angelic messengers, enter the city of Sodom and they find Lot sitting at the gates. Remember back in Genesis 13, Lot and Abraham realized that the land was too small. This, this city is not big enough for the both of us. And so Abraham and Lot went up to the mountaintop and Abraham said, Lot, you choose. Where do you want to live? And Lot looked down upon the plain of the Jordan near where Sodom and Gomorrah were located and he saw that it was full of grass and water and just a wonderful place to raise his flocks. And he pitched his tent outside of Sodom. We find out today that in this passage that he has moved from the outskirts outside the city walls. He has actually moved into the city of Sodom and sitting in the gates. He has become a prominent citizen of the city. That's where the prominent citizens sat. That's where the judges sat to to mitigate disputes and things like that. And so Lot has reached himself a place of political uh, citizenship and prominence within the city of Sodom. We see a progression there. Well, the, these two angelic messengers come in and they're strangers. And the, the, the uh, customs, the traditions of the day was that strangers were offered places to sleep and meals to eat so that they, uh, there were no hotels. There was no light left on at Motel 6 for anybody during this time. And so I, as a citizen of Lewisburg or Fairley, if somebody, a stranger were to come in, I would offer them a place to sleep and a place to eat. And so Lot does this for these two men and they say, no, that's quite all right. We're here for a purpose. We'll just sleep in the city square. We think Lot knows the danger of that for these two angelic messengers, these two men, uh, because he insists very strongly that they come to stay in his house. And so they do. They agree and they go in and Lot shows himself righteous in this moment by offering hospitality to the strangers. Just as Abraham invited the, the strangers in and offered them food, Lot invites them in and offers them food, although the fare is not quite as good. We have the same word here where it says that Lot offered them a meal. It's that same word of this extravagant banquet. And what does he give them? He gives them unleavened bread. He gives them like large crackers, basically, to eat and to fill their belly. But he offers them hospitality. And even though it's not perfect hospitality, we're told later on in the scriptures that uh, it's a hospitality that proved Lot's righteousness. During this meal, there's a, a knocking on the door. There's a commotion outside and all the men of the city, young and old, it's there. To, it's, it's written that way to tell us that that everybody in the city uh, deserved the punishment that was coming upon them. These men come and and knock on the door and, and ask for Lot to send these two men out to them so that they could have their way with them. And Lot refuses. In fact, Lot does something uh, that actually puts himself in danger. He goes out in their place. 
He, in, a, in, a, in an act of protection, in an act of courage, Lot offers the protection of hospitality to these two men by going out in his place. Now, Lot leaves himself with some tough choices here. Most commentators see that Lot only had three choices in this situation. The first was to go ahead and abandon these two messengers to the crowd outside. Um, this would have violated the rules of hospitality. This would have violated um, uh, Lot's righteousness and proved himself to be wicked just as the, the, the citizens of Sodom were. Um, so he doesn't take that choice. The other choice is to leave them unprotected. As the man of the house, he was responsible for everybody under his roof. He was responsible for their protection, for their, for their rest, for their food. But he could have left them unprotected by offering himself in their place. Or he could have kind of found middle ground. It's not any better um, choice than the other two, but it's the choice he chose. It was the choice to offer his daughters in their place. See, sometimes when we try to compromise with the culture around us too much, we find ourselves left in positions where uh, we have really no good choice ahead of us. In circles of science, many times Christians want a seat at the table as we discuss um, things scientific, but the price of that seat at the table is oftentimes compromising Genesis 1. It's denying God creating the heavens and the earth, and it's embracing a naturalistic view of creation. And many times people will do that in order just to get a seat at the table, in order to discuss, in order to be a prominent citizen in scientific circles. But what's the danger in that? The danger is down the road. If we're willing to deny that, what else are we willing to deny when it comes to the Scriptures? Well, if there was no Adam, that's a problem. Because Paul says our salvation is based upon the failure of the first Adam and the success of the second Adam. So if there's no first Adam to fail, scripturally there's no second Adam to succeed. And we are left without hope and without excuse. We are left with bad choices in the culture and ultimately compromising in one area leads us to great compromise in others. Lot argues with the men, they refuse, they begin to attack him. The two messengers reach out, pull him back in, and, and uh, disperse the crowd through blinding them. Probably a dazzling light, the way the language is there. Um, and then they tell him, they say, go out and find your, any sons or daughters or sons-in-laws that are not here within this house and warn them that tomorrow this city will be destroyed and get out. And they think he's joking. He goes to his sons-in-laws, whether they're actually married or just engaged. Engagement during this time, betrothal, uh, was very similar to marriage. It was, it was just a, a difference of degrees. Uh, but his sons-in-law think he is joking. And uh, they abandon Lot. So the sun rises and the angels grab Lot and his family out by the arm, they take them outside the city and they say, flee to the mountains. God has provided this great rescue for Lot and his family. And what does Lot do? He hesitates and he bargains. He hesitates. They've told him, leave the city now because it's going to be destroyed. And Lot just kind of stands there. 
They have to grab him and his wife and his daughters and drag them out of the city. And then Lot says, when they say, go to the mountains and you'll be protected, Lot says, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't like the mountains. I like the city. Can I get rescue in the city instead of in the mountains? And they say, fine, just go. We will protect the city. Lot says it's a smaller city. Commentators think that that means he think that he is arguing that it has less sin than Sodom and Gomorrah does. But whatever he's arguing there, the the uh, angels, these angelic beings say, fine, get to the city. As soon as you get there, the work will start. God's work of judging Sodom and Gomorrah will begin. And he makes his way to Sodom and Gomorrah as he is on his, or he makes his way to Zoar as he is on his way there. Uh, we're told that uh, fire, or brimstone, uh, bitumen, tar, all these different things uh, involved with heat destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Some people think that this may have been um, an earthquake, knowing the different minerals in the area, knowing the geology of the area. Some people think that this might have been an earthquake. But whether it was an earthquake or whether it was actually stuff raining down from heaven, Scripture is clear that the Lord was in this. God acted in these things to judge the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. And remember, Lot and his family were told, run, be quick, don't look back. And what happens to Lot's wife? She looks back and she's turned into a pillar of salt. We learn three things from Lot's, this account of Lot and Sodom. The first thing we learn or that we look at is, is, is what is the particular sin of Sodom and Gomorrah? We have a tendency to look at this particular passage, Genesis 19, especially in our, in our culture today. We have a tendency to look at this passage and, and fixate on one particular sin, that, that sin of the men wanting to, as the, new, as the King James Version says, to know the messengers. But we have to look at the rest of Scripture before we determine and make a, a, a hard and fast decision on what was the sin of Sodom. Isaiah 1, 10 and 17, Isaiah chapter 1, verses 10 and 17 tell us that Sodom and Gomorrah are guilty of the sin of social oppression. The strong have exerted power to abuse the weak. They are keeping them in a place of political and economic oppression. Jeremiah 23, 14 tells us that Sodom and Gomorrah were guilty of adultery, of lying, of aiding the criminal elements of society. And the one passage we typically go to to, to discuss the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah is Ezekiel 16, 49 and 50. They tell us that Sodom and Gomorrah were guilty of arrogance. They were guilty of amassing wealth without concern for the poor and the less fortunate. They were guilty of pride and finally of detestable things. As we look at this, we see that the sexual sins of Sodom and Gomorrah were the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back. There were deeper underlying sins, sins of ignoring justice, sins of ignoring righteousness, sins of placing themselves as more important than God, sins of placing their own political structures as more important than the rules that God has given us to live by. 
Paul says in Romans chapter 1 when he talks about the exchanging of the natural for the unnatural in relation between men and men and women with women, he says that is the judgment. That is the end of a long process whereby men have ignored God for far too long. We look at our culture today and we decry the lack of purity and chastity within our culture. That's the end of a long process that we have been going to. And sometimes it pains me to say this. Sometimes we of the church have been complicit in that process. We have not spoken out against things like pride. We have not spoken out against things like arrogance. We have not spoken out against things like the oppression of the weak by the strong. And we have become complicit in the sins of our culture. And unfortunately, our culture is reaping what it has sown. The second thing we learn about uh, this relationship between Lot and Sodom is that God judges sin. The language of Genesis 19, 23 through 28 should remind us of Revelation 9, 2 and 18, 9. He talks about fire. He talks about brimstone. He talks about smoke rising like a furnace. Some of the exact same words that that John uses to describe the lake of fire in the book of Revelation. God will judge sin. Oh, brothers and sisters, we ache sometimes and say how long we ache sometimes and say when. But the truth, the reality is that God judges sin, not just the sin of same sex relationships, but the sin of of pride, the sin of arrogance, the sin of idolatry, the sin of anger, the sin of murder, the sin of having other gods before him, the sin of disrespecting our parents. Paul says once again in the book of Romans that God is waiting patiently. Seems odd, doesn't it? We watch our world just seemingly descend into madness and chaos, and we're told it's God waiting patiently. Why is it God waiting patiently? Well, that's the third thing we learn from this is that God provides rescue from judgment. Look at Lot. Lot tried really hard to be hospitable and and he he messed it up really bad, almost. He didn't give him a meal that you you would typically give. He almost threw the men back out to the wolves or at least himself or his daughters out to the wolves. He tried really hard to be hospitable. He left the city after hesitating and waiting. He left, he, instead of going to the mountains, he goes to the city. He tried really hard to be righteous, but he got it all wrong. And God rescued him anyway. Why did God rescue Lot? It's there near the end of that first portion of the passage. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered who? Lot? No, he remembered Abraham. And because he remembered Abraham, he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And God remembered Abraham and rescued Lot. How does God rescue from judgment today? He remembers Jesus. And for those who believe in Jesus as their only hope of salvation, he rescues us on account of Jesus. 
remembering in the Old Testament is not just the recalling of a fact. It's God recalling his promises and acting on their behalf. Lot was part of Abraham's family. And because of that, God remembered Abraham and rescued Lot. We have been adopted as sons and daughters of God through the work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And for those who believe, he will remember Jesus and therefore rescue us. And what do we see in the second portion of this story? I'll try and keep it as PG-13 as I possibly can here. The theme of this last section, Lot and his daughters, could, could be said to be, you can take Lot's daughters out of Sodom, but you can't take Sodom out of Lot's daughters. The daughters here make a decision based on the customs of the world. They don't think about God's law. They don't think about how God has revealed to us in nature and in Scripture how we are to uh, establish families. They, they, they do what the world tells them to do, according to verse 31. And, you know, it leads to the same thing. It leads to sin. It leads to difficulty. It leads to two people groups that will be thorns in the sides and the flesh of the Israelites throughout their history. We're told in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy that the, the Moabites and the Amabites are, uh, Ammonites are cursed by God because they have treated the Israelites poorly. But, you know, we also see the gospel in this as well. In the book of Ruth, we're told of a young lady from the land of Moab who left Moab and became an Israelite by taking care of her mother-in-law after her mother-in-law's husband and two sons died. You know who her grandson was? It was David. You know who her ultimate grandson was? It's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Even out of the cursed people, we see the, the background, the foundation, the family of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God uses even sinful actions to bring forth his glory and his plan. Either read with me or listen as I read from Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? who was treated as an unholy thing, the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, and who has insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. Again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Lot and his family were literally drug out of Sodom. 
his hesitation, his, his bargaining, still he was rescued. He was given a great gift. He could have chosen to stay in Sodom and be judged. And his family was given this gift as well, all on behalf of Abraham. And yet what happened? They didn't all make it to Zoar, did they? They didn't all make it to the mountains, did they? Sometimes we become so much in the world that we become attached to it. And we may be sitting in a place like this in a sanctuary, hearing the preaching and teaching of the word, hearing the gospel proclaimed, being told to take off the old sinful self and to put on the new righteous self. And yet we are still so tied to the world that even though we go through the motions, we are still of the world. We are still of the city. Think of the phenomenal gift that Lot's wife was given. And she turned her back upon it and she was judged. We have that same danger today. I I would be naive to think that everybody in this room is going to make it to the city or to the mountains. Because many of us have sat in here sometimes for weeks, sometimes for years, and we have heard the glorious message of the fact that we can be saved on behalf of Jesus Christ because God remembers his sacrifice for us. And we, will, we are willing to turn our back on that glorious message in a heartbeat. Many of us have friends that know that. Many of us may be questioning today if we are that person. Now, I will give you some hope if you are questioning today. Oh, my goodness. You know what? There are so many sins that I really just love and enjoy. They're so hard to put aside. Am I Lot's wife? I'll give you the hope that if you're asking that question today, that the likelihood is that you are not, that you are saved. Because the person who loves Jesus truly, the person who has truly embraced Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as their Savior, questions when they sin, feels guilt and feels shame. If you're sitting here today, though, and you say, you know what, I really kind of enjoy the world a lot more than I enjoy sitting here, and I'm okay with that. You need to stop and stop turning your back upon the rescue that God is offering you. The author of Hebrews here uses very strong language to talk about those people. He says, you are trampling the son of God underfoot. You are treating as an unholy thing, the blood of the covenant who say that saved us. And you're insulting the spirit of grace. Lot and his wife remind us of two things. Number one, don't reject the gospel. There is judgment for those who do. But it also reminds us that as imperfectly as we try to be righteous, we are saved because God has remembered Jesus. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, as we look at this passage, man, just drive deeply into our hearts our need to be reminded over and over again when we stumble and when we fall that we are saved on behalf of the righteousness of your son. Not for anything we do, but because of what he has done. But for those of us who do not know him in this room, remind us before it's too late that we desperately need to be remembered on behalf of Christ and not by our own works. Because our own works will be judged. 
and they will be found lacking. So remind us that we need a Savior. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.